Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 45 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is Wa'il, your host. And it is uh, a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to, you know, sit down here and talk to you about the religion of Islam and take all your questions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions, please email me at delvingintoislam uh, at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com. And I will get back to you as soon as possible. Um, with that being said, let's get right into it. Now, uh, today's episode is really exciting. I'm really excited for today's episode because it, it's it's been long overdue. Uh, we were I wanted to do this uh, like a long, long time ago, but I wanted to establish first um, the theology. The, I mean, I'm not done with theology yet when it comes to Islam. I'm um, I'm just shifting from theology into uh, gaining more more knowledge about our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and um, this is really interesting for me because again, a lot of people a lot, uh, around the world, it's easy for them to attack the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because he was human at the end of the day. He was the best of mankind, but he was a human. So a lot of people try to criticize him and criticize his actions, and again. He was the best of mankind, but the human factor unfortunately makes him an easy target for those who hate Islam and they try to attack Islam. So I wanted to shed a lot of light on our beloved Prophet because we need this. This is really important, guys. Like, Let me explain to you. When people attack your religion, you need to have the knowledge to respond. Even if you're not a Muslim and you're thinking about being a Muslim or you're interested in Islam, how would you uh, fight the doubts in your heart when you have uh, some sort of a controversial question about this pro- uh, about our prophet or about certain ruling in Islam or about this and that? You need to have that knowledge to fight back ignorance. When you are in your grave, you have to understand now, what I'm about to say, I, I don't, I don't. Maybe I said it before. I think I said it before in the topic of angels, but I'm going to say it in a different, from a different um, perspective. When we die, every single man, every single woman, every person who dies will be resurrected in their graves. They are transported into a dimension, not purgatory. I know purgatory is for for Christians. It's called al barzakh in in Islam. So you are resurrected full, body and soul, by the way, right? So we get resurrected in the grave and we're asked now, two angels come to us, Munkar and Nakir, their names are mentioned, Munkar and Nakir, they come to us and they are not friendly. They're not going to come to torture us, don't worry. But they are going to scare us. They are a trial, a test in the grave. They are the trial of the grave. They are the test of the grave. They come to us. The Prophet ﷺ described them in one of the authentic hadith. And he said they are bluish and blackish. Their eyes are big and they're not friendly. They're going to come and they're going to roughly ask you three questions. The first question will be, who is your Lord? The second question is, what is your religion? The third question, what can you say about the man who was sent to you as a prophet? 
Now, if you ask a 10-year-old, they can answer this question, right? They can. Oh, who is your Lord? Allah. No problem. What is your religion? It's a Muslim. A Muslim. We're talking about if, if, if the person, we give an example of a Muslim being resurrected, right? Islam is my religion. Okay. Who is, what can you say about uh, the, the person who sent you? Uh, his name is Prophet Muhammad. He was sent to all of us and, and whatnot. Now, <laughs> that's not going to be the case. See, answering these questions will depend on how you lived your life. If you didn't live your life fearing, fearing Allah, worshipping Allah, you won't be able to answer the first question. Who is your Lord? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you knew in, in, in this life that your Lord is the easiest question to answer. But the problem is you never worshipped Allah. You were never sincere. You never asked Him for help. You never made ta'a to Him. Allah was not being part of your daily life as He should be. Hence, when you die and you're asked, who is your Lord? You won't be able to answer. It's that simple. So my dear brothers and sisters, please get to know your Lord better. Get to have this connection. Pray five times a day with Allah. Ask Allah. Don't be embarrassed. Allah tells you, ask me whatever you want and I'll give you whatever I want too. That doesn't mean Allah will give you everything you want because some things you might want will not be good for you, even though they seem to be. We talked about that, I believe, before. Okay, what is your religion, Islam? If you lived your life as being ashamed of being Muslim, if you were try to hide your religion, or if you were not satisfied with your religion, guess what? You won't be able to answer this question either. That's going to be another problem. By the way, to pass the trial, you have to answer the three questions. Forgot to say this. It's not like there's no minimum answers here, like you answer two out of the three and, and, and you passed. This has to be three out of three kind of question or kind of test, basically. You have to answer the three questions. You have to. So if you lived your life proud to be a Muslim, you know, promoting the truth about Islam, uh, uh, not criticizing it, loving being the fact that you're a Muslim, inshallah you'll be able to answer. Again, it's all based on how you lived your life, not based on your actual knowledge. Here's the interesting and the third question. Look at the question. The question didn't, it, it, it wasn't stated as who is your prophet or messenger. It was said that who, what can you say about the man who was sent to you? That means you have to learn about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Many of us, unfortunately, don't know anything about the Prophet except for, the, you know, the, the common knowledge. What do you know about him? What did you know about him? What did you learn about him? Did you really follow his sunnah? Did you really follow his sunnah because you wanted to? Did you really know his character, his mannerisms? Did you know what he looked like? Many, many Muslims, will answer, will answer, their answer will be no, unfortunately. Many Muslims. Their answer will be no. And that's why when certain governments and certain countries attack the Prophet ﷺ, try to humiliate him, Muslims, many Muslims don't know how to respond. They don't because they're busy with other stuff. They don't want to learn. They didn't want to learn about the Prophet ﷺ. It was not that interested to them. And that's a serious problem. That's a serious problem that inshallah we need to fix. The life of the Prophet ﷺ is a manifestation of Islam. 
my dear brothers and sisters. Manifestation of Islam itself, of the Quran. Now, let's talk about the Prophet. First, let's discuss this. As a general rule, all prophets that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent, Allah sent them with certain character and mannerisms and certain looks too. They were all basically handsome looking. And we know that all prophets are men. And I know that, again, I'm pretty sure that I answered this question when people say why there were no female prophets. Is it because Islam has something to against women? And the answer, of course, is not. The answer is prophethood requires certain physical, physical uh, challenges, physical requirements. Like, for example, the prophet must lead his people during salah, during prayers. A woman shouldn't lead men because men shouldn't look at a woman while she's bending over in front of them. Hence, women cannot lead prayers. That's the only reason why it's out of decency. The whole concept of ladies first is actually un-Islamic. You shouldn't let a woman who's a stranger, we're talking about if it's a stranger, walk in front of you while you're walking behind her. You don't believe me. Look at the Prophet Musa, alayhi salam. If you think Islam is too much when it comes to this, Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, Moses himself, when he followed the two daughters of the farmer, of the man, of the shepherd, right? Uh, And uh, uh, that's one of his stories. And he literally did not follow them. He said, I'm going to be ahead of you. I'm going to walk in front of you. And you throw rocks, to where you want me, you want my direction to be. So basically, the women were, the girls, they were walking behind Prophet Mo- Musa, Prophet Moses, and they would throw a rock whenever they wanted him to take a turn in an alley or some. That shows you that he refused to walk behind him because it's not decent. Right? Again, you know, if you're in a situation, you have to walk and you lower your gaze as a man. That's fine. I'm just saying. You don't have to go to that extreme. But I'm telling you right now, that's what uh, uh, men should not pray behind women for that reason. Also, women, they get their, uh, you know, monthly cycle, uh, you know, with, 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 with with their period and whatnot. And that will make them halt a lot of things and and stop a lot of things on a monthly basis. They can't lead prayers anymore. Women also get pregnant. You know, for nine months, you know, they carry the child. And then after the delivery, they have to breastfeed. This is all uh, considered to be a distraction from prophethood. You know, so... Yeah, a woman has uh, certain things. A man has certain, uh, a little bit of a different qualifications when it comes to prophethood. Fight, physical fighting, physical being humiliated, thrown rocks at, like the Prophet ﷺ had, happened to him. That's why there were no female prophets. It's just really that simple. You know, it's nothing, uh, there's nothing misogynistic about this. And again, it was by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created both genders. Do not forget that. Now, um, back to uh, uh, our our topic, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the prophets look, have certain beauty to them. They were handsome in a way. And they had great character. But why? Well, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want people to have any excuse to reject those people, those messengers. So they were charismatics. 
They were charismatic. They had good looks. So it's very hard to ignore them, to reject them. Yet they were, of course, rejected by a lot of people. But, you know, imagine if they were completely, like, you know, not uh, standing out, uh, you know, uh, uh, among the crowd. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted us to, you know, uh, wanted to send unique people in terms of physical looks and mannerisms as well. And you know that it's, it's said that Prophet Yusuf, Prophet uh, Yusuf alayhi salam, uh, Prophet or, or Joseph, he was giving half of the beauty of mankind. Did you guys know this? This is actually a whole chapter about Yusuf. Like he was giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he sent beauty to mankind, you know, beauty fluctuates between one person to another. Allah given half of that beauty, just the in, like the entire beauty that was sent to earth. All, uh, like all of like half of it was given to Prophet Yusuf alayhi Prophet Joseph, and that's why he was extremely handsome. It was unbelievable. He was supposedly unbelievably handsome. That one time he walked into the room, there were women who were cutting apples. They cut their hands, and they mean not like chop their hands off. They just cut their hands instead of cutting the apple, and they didn't even feel it because when they were staring at the face of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, they just couldn't handle it. He was extremely, extremely beautiful. Subhanallah. So yeah, that leads us to start the physical description of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he was described by a lot of companions like, you know, uh, his cousin Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, Anas ibn Malik and so forth. There's a lot of people who actually gave us a physical description of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Like the number one thing that we need to know about our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that he was extremely handsome. Extremely handsome. You know, he had really great looks. You know, all of his companions, all the people, men by the way, they're describing him. They're saying, some saying he was shining like the moon, some were saying he was, uh, I mean, shining like the sun. Some would say he was illuminating like the moon. Because again, you know, you guys need to know that the, the sun and the moon were the standards of beauty uh, back in the day uh, in the Arab Peninsula. They, they, when they want to, like here you say, uh, oh, you look beautiful like, you know, like the blue sky or whatever the, the terms you come up with. Back in the day, when you say to someone, you look beautiful like the moon, this is the standard of beauty, moon and the sun, you know. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ, so he was very incredibly handsome, right? Uh, also, he had a light brownish skin, a light brownish skin. Uh, his skin was not that white and it was not that dark. He had a light brownish skin, well, not regular brown. It's a light brown skin, like the average skin of a Middle Eastern, basically, right? Uh, he was he was average in height, and Subhanallah, like the Allah Subhanahu wa Taala made our Prophet ﷺ. Uh, basically in the middle of everything you know he was extremely handsome that's one thing but then when it came to the actual physical description of his body he was basically in the middle of everything he was not extreme like he was not incredibly tall that he would you know st- you know he would stood about he would stand above the gra- uh, the crowd and nor he was short that he would be ignored he was you know average height you would take him seriously and you know he's not too tall for you basically right um 
Also, he was uh, 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 narrated by Anas ibn Malik that he had very soft hands, even though he was a labor worker. Because you know that soft hands is an indication that you don't work that hard. But no, he had very soft hands, even though he was a labor worker. He used to, you know, dig the tunnels, do this and do that. He used to be a shepherd, you know. He did not have a luxury, uh, a luxurious life at all. The Prophet ﷺ, yet subhanAllah, his hand was always soft. His hair was also soft. He had a firm, like a manly hair, you know, like he had a firm hair, but it was a soft hair. Like his hair was not curly. It was a soft hair, like a wavy kind of soft hair. And his hair reached his, usually reached above his shoulders, like his earlobes, basically. And whenever it reached, whenever it passed the earlobes, he used to cut it. So he's, the Prophet ﷺ had a kind of long hair that it reached his earlobes, right? Um, and uh, uh, that's one thing. He had also, like, you know, speaking of hair, his hair was very thick. His hair, and we're talking about, like, his, his actual hair and his beard, both were very thick hair. And, um, like, he had, you know, a very thick beard and a thick hair, too. Um, he had an oval face. His face was oval. He was not, he didn't have a round face. He did not have a long face. His face was oval. And he had, subhanAllah, large eyes, and this is an indication of beauty, with very black pupil. So his, he did not have any colored eyes. His, eye, his eyes were black. The pupil, his eye pupil were black, right? And uh, he had uh, very large eyes, which was an indica indication of beauty. Look at this. He had, uh, uh, his eyelashes were long. And subhanAllah, he had uh, uh, a natural kuhl in his eyes. Kuhl means, uh, it means, in, it translates in Arabic, uh, I think, into eyeliner. So he had like a natural eyeliner, um, as if he had a natural eyeliner uh, when you, you know, look at him. He had broad shoulders. He had broad shoulders, very broad shoulders, right? And his bones were sticking out, you know, like he had very, you know, large bones. In a good way, of course. Uh, also, he had, and this is very interesting, natural fragrance. His body odor was like a perfume. And this is a kind of miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was giving to the Prophet sallallahu that his sweat used to smell like perfume. Wrap your heads around this. Wrap your heads around this. The Prophet sallallahu his sweat used to smell like perfume. The Prophet ﷺ, because of his purity, and this is an indication of how pure he was, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made his sweat smell like a perfume, like, you know, his natural fragrance, his body odor, his natural body odor was fragrant. Umm Salama, one of his wives, actually used to collect his sweat while he was sleeping. So, you know, when you sleep back in the Arab Peninsula, again, there's no AC, you know, there's no fans and whatever. So, it basically was hot in certain, you know, summer nights. So, he would sweat while he was asleep. So, she would literally take a small bottle and collect the sweat off his face or whatever and basically use it as perfume. That's how serious it was. This is not just a, a little bit of, uh, you know, in a stretch. It was seriously smelled like perfume. 
it's a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanallah, and it shows you the purity of his heart, also the purity of his body as well. He uh, uh, he didn't have any body, uh, any hair body. So he didn't have uh, hair on his body, except for uh, just a thin string of hair uh, extending from his chest to his navel. So, you know, like a, a line of hair uh, going all the way from his chest to his navel. And that was it. But he didn't, he was not a hairy man, basically. But his, again, hair and beard were thick. He had thick hair. Um he also uh, always walked so fast as if he's walking down a slope. You know, like walking down a hill. The Prophet ﷺ was known to be walking. He always walked so fast. So fast. Like as if he's, you know, you know when you're like speeding down a slope or down a hill. That's how the Prophet ﷺ walked normally. You know, like his companions when they were walking next to him, they had to actually keep up. So it's a sunnah to walk a little bit fast. Physically, also he had something called the seal of the prophets. He had something called the seal of the prophets between his shoulder blades. So back and his back between his shoulder blades, there was this like um, uh, string of like uh, uh, outgrowth of hair. That basically didn't have where hair doesn't usually grow. So between your shoulder blades and in, in, in the back, hair doesn't usually grow. So those the string of like um, unique colored hair, strings of hair uh, that came out of between his shoulder blades, and it was you know different colors. So it had different colors, and um, that was basically a sign from Allah that this was a prophet, a physical sign. From Allah, giving to all prophets, by the way. Every prophet had their own uh, physical sign, which it's called the seal of the prophets. Again, every prophet is given a physical sign um, to show that this is something unique that usually doesn't happen to people. And this was the sign that, uh, you know, um, that he was a prophet of Allah. Uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, again, the Prophet ﷺ, there are so many descriptions, you know, he was, uh, 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 you know, he had a good build, he had a, uh, he had a good, you know, muscular body, not over uh, uh, muscular or no, nor he was unhealthy, you know, he was the perfect medium, the perfect, uh, you know, uh, body in terms of in the middle, no extravagant, no extremes. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him this way so he would be perfect, just perfect for the eyes to see. He was a perfect in character and he was perfect physically as well. Now, we talked about you know the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ, and I hope um, uh, we learned a thing or two that we didn't know before about the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ. Now, let's talk about the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ because they are incredibly important and they are stuff that we try to follow here as muslims <clears throat> and the prophet ﷺ, number one he would always have a smile on his face that smile gave comfort to those who were around him imagine this you have this subtle smile on your face you know people feel comfortable around you when you have that smile on your face 
You know, the Prophet always had this smile. People felt comfortable. He was very approachable. You know, people knew that they could tell him anything. They could ask him about anything without, you know, worrying about his reactions or because he had this smile and he this acceptance in his face. Also, when he turned to talk to someone, he would, he would fully turn. So it's a sign of actually respect. And, and ironically, you know, in, in a modern um, public speaking uh, 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 courses, they tell you that when you're talking to someone, uh, when you turn to talk to someone on your side, on your back, you have to fully turn with your body, not just with your face, because with your face, it's a sign of disrespect. And lo and behold, 1500 years ago, the Prophet do exactly did exactly that he used to turn with his full body out of respect to those who are talking to him and again it gave them comfort and it made them feel better while they're talking to the prophet number three is he had he was <laughs> he had the absolute humbleness and modesty you know subhanallah talking about a leader who is humble right like uh, you know uh Subhanallah, like he, he was just so humble, you know. Uh, you didn't see any signs of extravagance on him, you know. Um, like one time, one time, uh, uh, you know, uh, and this is a very, uh, very, very famous uh, story when Umar ibn al-Khattab, one of the most famous companions, uh, you know, went to wake the Prophet ﷺ up and, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, lo and behold, he was waking up and then he saw... Uh, marks on the Prophet's back from the Prophet's bed. So uh, the bed of the Prophet actually was made out of branches of the date palms. Can you imagine this? So the bed of the Prophet was made out of the branches of date palms. And he used to sleep on that. And because that was so painful, his back used to have marks from those strings of, you know, branches. Very rough branches. There's no mattress. You know, like, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, one, of, one of his wives used to actually stuff, put on top of the branches, like some, some leaves, some tree leaves, some palm leaves. So it will be a little bit softer for the Prophet ﷺ. But otherwise, he would just sleep on the branches straight up. And that created some, like, you know, bad marks on the back of the Prophet ﷺ or the side of the Prophet ﷺ when he, you know, flip when he's asleep. Because, you know, the Prophet ﷺ always uh, started sleeping on his uh, right side. So Omar went to wake him up one time and he saw those marks. And he started crying. He started crying. Omar. So the Prophet asked him, why are you crying? He said, Omar said, you are the prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are God's man on earth. You are the messenger that was sent by Allah. And you're sleeping like this. While other kings and dictators have luxurious palaces, have bed made out of silk, you know, they're having a luxury in their lives. They sleep in multiple bedrooms and whatever. Yet you are the best human being who walked on this earth. Sleep like this. That's not fair. 
To which the Prophet ﷺ got a little bit upset and he told him, Hey Umar, do you really care about these things? SubhanAllah, it shows you the modesty of the Prophet ﷺ. And it shows you how smart he is. He was looking at the big picture. We want the hereafter, my brother, said Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Let them, talking about the dictators and the tyrants and the kings, let them have this dunya, let them have this life. You know, let them have the palace, let them have the, 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 the fancy beds, and let us have the hereafter. Let us have Jannah, let us have paradise. They took, Lahumul dunya walana al They have this life, and we have the hereafter, which is permanent, not temporary like this life. You know, that's our Prophet You know, he frequently rode donkeys, by the way, even though he owned a camel. A camel. Al-Qaswa, his camel. But again, he was not one to show off. He was never one to show off, you know. You know, one time, this is a very interesting story. He was actually distributing uh, camels, you know, it was like a bounty of war. Uh, on the soldiers and one there was one camel left and there were three people left for that one camel it was him and two more companions i think ali ibn abi talib was one of them and then he said the prophet ﷺ, he said you know what let's share this camel like you know you we share the milk of the camel and then we share riding it you know we'll we'll, we'll have a schedule basically Mind you that he was the leader of the army. He is the leader of the nation, not just the army. He's not a, he was the in, in the status of a king, basically. And he said, no, 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 we'll distribute this, this camel. Don't worry about it. So the both companions, they said, hey, Prophet of Allah, you know what? We're both young. We don't need the camel. You know, they wanted to gift him this camel. They wanted to give it up. They don't want to share with the Prophet ﷺ. You know, they wanted him to have it for himself. So they said, you know what, we're young, we can walk, we're good, you know, we, we, we'd like to walk, we have no problem with walking, we don't need to ride the camel. Look at how he smiled back at them and said what? Neither of you is stronger than me, nor am I less in need of the rewards than you. Look at this, we will share the camel, he said. So they said, oh Prophet of Allah, we are younger in age, so... You know, uh, um, we can walk. So the Prophet said, yeah, you are young, but you're not stronger than me. I can make the walk as, as well. Don't worry about that. You know, I'm, I'm, alhamdulillah, I'm still strong. Nor I, you think you want to take the rewards of walking because we both know that the more you struggle and you strive, uh, walking for the sake of Allah, you know, going to the masjid, doing, you know, fighting and, and whatnot, you get more rewards. So he said, and I, not in need of less rewards than you. I need the same amount of rewards that you will need and that you want by walking. So we'll share it. I'll walk some, you'll walk some. I need those rewards as well. Not because of, I'm a prophet of Allah that I don't need it. No. And it shows you the absolute humbleness of our beautiful Prophet ﷺ. And they did end up sharing the camel. SubhanAllah. 
It's like you want to walk because you think you're stronger than me. No, you're not. You want to walk because you think you need the rewards more than me. No, you're not. I still need them as much as you do. We'll share the camel. Pure humbleness. If any of our leaders of today, they would be like, yeah, okay, I'll accept a gift. I'm the leader. I don't even think that whole sharing would be an option in the first place. Subhanallah. Incredible. Subhanallah. You know. <clears throat> the Prophet ﷺ was also incredibly uh, humble and modest. And yet he was also very poor. The Prophet ﷺ came moments that he was rich in the beginning of his you know, life. And he became very poor. You know like... Um, Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would not taste any meat for six weeks. It was reported by, you know, his wife and, and, and one of his wives and, and, and some of his companions. He wouldn't taste meat for six weeks. Sitat asabiya. He mostly used to eat something called the two darks or the two blacks. Date and dirty water. Because of the color, of course. Date, because the date is, is, is black. He used to eat the black date and... You know, dirty water because they were getting water from the wells. It's not like, you know, filtered water and, and still water like we have here uh, nowadays. That was his mostly, you know, the, mo the, 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 the meals that he mostly used to eat. Al-Aswadayn. Uh, our Prophet Sassam, by the way, never ate rice until he passed away. Never knew what rice is because rice was a commodity that did not exist in the Arab Peninsula in the first place. You know, I think it came later on. And he never ate wheat bread to his full. Not even once. Wheat bread. Bread that made, that's made out of wheat. He never ate to his full from that bread. Not even once in his lifetime. Can you believe that? SubhanAllah. He was the example of patience and modesty. He always, another thing is about the characters of the Prophet ﷺ, he always treated people kindly. You know, even some of his worst enemies. You know, uh, one of the companions by the name of, uh, like we said, Anas ibn Malik, he served the Prophet ﷺ, he was his servant, right? For 10 years. 10 years. And Anas himself says, Anas himself said to us that not even once the Prophet ﷺ treated him unkindly, not even once he treated him, he was irritated of him, not even once he told him, why did you do this or why didn't you do that? Never, ever once in the span of 10 years. You know, even good people, good bosses, they snap once in a while. Good people that, you know, they snap once in a while. Not, not this prophet, not this man, subhanAllah. You know, and even when people treated him with disrespect, he would always, you know, maintain his composure. He would always, you know, maintain his dignity. And there was a story that, you know, um, that was uh, one time he was sitting with the companions and a group of, of, of Yahud uh, who did not, who, who wanted him out, who didn't believe in him. Uh, walked in and they said to him, Assalamu alaikum. Oh, of course, all of us know that when you say Assalamu alaikum, 
that's a greeting word in Islam, right? But what they said was not assalamu alaikum. They said assalamu alaikum, meaning may curse and death be upon you. It has the opposite meaning of peace be upon you. So the Prophet ﷺ looked at them and he said with a smile on his face, Wa alaikum, and upon you as well. So Aisha, anha, his wife, got so irritated because she heard what they said. So she started yelling at them, May Allah's curse be upon you. How could you say this to the Prophet? ﷺ? So the Prophet ﷺ looked at her and he's like, What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you, you know, just don't yell. You know, don't be vulgar to them. Like, what are you doing? She said, you didn't hear the O Prophet of Allah. They said, Assalamu alaikum. May curse and death be upon you. You just didn't hear them. He said, yes, I did hear them. Didn't you hear my response? What did I say? I said, wa alaikum. And upon you as well. He didn't say, Assalamu alaikum or wa alaikum assalam. He said, wa alaikum and was quiet. It shows you that he was not vulgar. He responded in a smart way, in an intelligent way, because he is the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he responded in a very intelligent and a calm way. And he did hear them. He was sharp. Uh, he was incredibly sharp, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he responded to them in a very eloquent way, yet he was slapping them back politely and, you know, calmly. He was also incredibly brave, you know, like he was, again, in one of his status, he was the leader and the king, basically, you could consider him a king. He was in every battle that he could be in, in the front lines. There was no such thing as, oh, well, I'm the king. I'm just going to command my men and that's it. No, he was incredibly brave. Incredibly brave. One time they heard a sound, I think, I believe, um, when they were in, 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 in a city. And there was a sound and they got alarmed that this sound could be like someone attacking. Or So the Prophet ﷺ jumped on a horse without a saddle, by the way, without a saddle. He was the first one to go and run, take the horse towards the sound to figure out what happened. And then he came back and he said, don't worry, I checked it out and it's not nothing. Don't worry about it. Absolute bravery. Again, he is the leader. He could have been like, go check it out. What's going on there? He didn't do that. He did things himself. The generosity of the Prophet ﷺ is something that's oh, very worth mentioning. Come on. The Prophet ﷺ, at, at many, uh, many times of, in his life, he didn't have a lot to offer because he was not as rich, right? Yet he offered a lot of what he had. The Prophet ﷺ had a couple of dinars when he was dying on his deathbed. And guess what he did? He made sure that they're distributed upon, on the poor people. He's dying. He's on. He has a severe fever, and he's on his deathbed. Yet, that's one of the things he cared about. He was well known of his ultimate generosity for any human being. You know, Subhanallah. Anyone who needed help, none of them would ever hesitate to ask the Prophet for help. Again, this is the Prophet. This is a man who spoke to Allah. Talked to Allah on the night of Isra and Maraj. 
This is not a normal leader. This is not a normal, <laughs> he's not a normal, your typical king. He is something incredibly special. Yet, every single person, every single Muslim would never, even non-Muslims would come and ask for help. Today, you can't, as, as a normal citizen, go to the, to the king and ask him for something. You can't. It's impossible to meet, to meet. You can't even meet a king or a president. You can't. Yet the Prophet ﷺ was incredibly approachable and was incredibly generous that anybody who would want anything, they would just go straight to the Prophet ﷺ and ask him. And there's a very interesting story about this. Actually, one time, we, like, it was known that the Prophet ﷺ used to wear a garment that had holes in it because he couldn't buy a new one, right? And we know that the Prophet ﷺ doesn't accept charity, but he accepts gifts. So one of his companions gifted him a new garment, a new, you know, cloth. Uh, thawb or whatever you want to call it So the Prophet went home Changed and wore the new garment And it looked beautiful on him And then later on another companion Same day by the way Came to him and asked him Oh Prophet can you gift me this garment Do you understand <laughs> So the Prophet Wore a new garment That he he didn't have a new garment. He had a garment that had holes in it. And when he wore a new one, the same day, another companion comes in and is like, can you please give me that? Guess what the Prophet did? Immediately he said, yes, of course. Let me go change and I'll be back. So the Prophet went back home, changed to his old garment, the one with the holes in it and everything, and he gave the companion the new one. Now the rest of the companions got so angry at this guy, at that companion who took the garment, the new garment for the Prophet they started rebuking him. They're like, what are you doing, man? Are you like, what are you doing? You knew that he would never say no. That's why you did it. You know, again, that shows you the reputation of the Prophet ﷺ and his generosity. They said, you knew he would never say no, yet you asked him for it. So the guy responded and he said, before you get angry at me, let me explain to you. I didn't ask him for the garment to wear it. I asked him so I can use it as my burial cloth. Basically, he said, I wanted to be buried in it. I wanted to be buried in it. And it was such a blessing to take something that the Prophet ﷺ wore and cover my body in it while I'm in the grave. It's such a blessing for me. So he didn't do it for selfish reasons. He just did it to get the blessings of the Prophet ﷺ that he wore it. So now he wants it and he wants to be wrapped in it while he's dead. I mean, some can still argue that they should have, he should have kept it with the Prophet ﷺ, but again, it's beside the point. The point is, the Prophet ﷺ would have never said no. And they all knew that. <clears throat> also, the Prophet ﷺ was known for his patience. Oh boy. If you can derive any patient like patience lessons, you derive it from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. I, by the way, had a whole episode. And that's why I'm not going to get into patience that much because I explained the the, the trials and the tribulations that the Prophet ﷺ has been through that involved him being patient. And the amount of things we could learn about the patience of the Prophet ﷺ. We're talking about a man who lost everything. Everything, everyone who took care of the Prophet, every father figure passed away. His own dad passed away. 
his grandfather passed away. His uncle passed away. Everybody who was good to him passed away. You know? And he was patient. He was tested with poverty. Like I said, six weeks not testing, not tasting meat. You know? For weeks, they wouldn't, the companions wouldn't, and it was reported by the companions, they wouldn't see smoke come, coming out of the prophet's home. And smoke meaning he's cooking a meal. They're cooking a meal. They're baking bread. They're doing this. For weeks. That means he didn't have, he, sometimes he would not have cooked meals for weeks. Eating dates and dirty water. That was his regular meal. When he used to pray, the Prophet ﷺ, his house was so tight that it was basically reported by our modern scholars that it was approximately 16 inch by 12 inch. Inch. Uh, my bad, my bad. Uh, 16 feet by 20 feet. I'm sorry, no. That's too much. Yeah, my bad. 16, it was reported that there's, it, the house of the Prophet ﷺ was 16 feet by 12 feet. Feet. When he used to pray, when he wanted to pray at home, he would actually tap Aisha, his wife, on her, you know, on, on the leg, so she would move, so he can, you know, prostrate, because there was no, there was no place for him to prostrate if she's, you know, sitting on the floor. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? Yet he was patient. He lost six out of seven children he had. Only Fatima stayed alive after his death. And she died shortly after, by the way. And he knew that she was done shortly after. And he told her on his deathbed that you will be the first of my family to meet me. Imagine you bury all of, almost all of your children. He was patient. If you think that you have it rough, learn from the life of the Prophet ﷺ and learn how patient he used to be. You know? He was humiliated, rejected, physically, physically abused when he went to a place called the Ta'if, a town that the Prophet ﷺ tried to preach Islam in, and they met him with mockery, rejection, and verbal and physical abuse by throwing rocks at him and making fun of him. He was patient. He was bleeding from head to toe, literally from head to toe, by the way. And he was patient. He did not complain. Patience was how the Prophet ﷺ lived his life. We should learn from that. Another thing is, he had a great sense of humor, by the way. He had a great sense of humor. Great sense of humor, the Prophet ﷺ. Great sense of humor. Like, and, and here's the interesting part about the sense of humor of the Prophet. ﷺ. He actually always said the truth, even though if he was joking. So, you know, when we usually joke, sometimes we lie for the sake of the joke. Like, you, I don't know, you want to make a joke, you say, Oh my God, you know, my stomach really hurts. And you try to make a joke out of it. And you're actually fine, but you're trying to throw a joke. I'm just, you know, giving you an example. You lie for the sake of the joke. You know, even stand up comedians, when they say, This happened to me. Most of the time, this didn't happen to them, and they come up with situations to help with the joke, right? 
and they make it look like it's a real life situation. The Prophet ﷺ, when he said his jokes, they were always truthful. That was incredible. He never said a lie, even in joking. He was always honest, and that's another thing in the character of the Prophet ﷺ. Never ever said anything but the truth. He would do something called wordplay, and I'm going to explain it in the jokes that he would do, but it's not lying. It's wordplay. Like, for example, there was this old woman who came to the Prophet ﷺ, and she asked him, make dua for me, O Prophet, please, for me to enter Jannah, to enter paradise. So the Prophet ﷺ looks at her and he's like, oh, didn't you know, old people cannot enter Jannah. Old people are not allowed in paradise. So the woman starts crying and she's like, what? And he smiles and laughs and says, don't, don't cry. I was joking with you. Old, old people will not enter Jannah because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will what? Will make all of us become young again before we enter Jannah. Allah will make old people become young again. They will be in their mid-30s. Everybody in Jannah will be mid-30s basically. Even if you died younger than mid-30s, Allah will bring you up to mid We all have the same age, basically, in Jannah. This is an information I don't know if you guys knew or not. But all of us will have the same age in Jannah, which is basically roughly like mid-30s, like which is the prime age of youth and sanity as well. So he was joking. He was like, yeah, old people won't go to Jannah. Guess what? Because we're all going to be young again. So it was a joke to him, but he was also truthful. Yes, old people won't enter Jannah. It's only young people. You know? On his deathbed, um, he made a joke with Aisha. Like when he was dying and he knew that he was dying. Uh, you know, prophets and messengers are giving warnings before they die. So the Prophet knew he was dying. He had a severe fever, severe headache. He was like in really bad shape. And he was on his deathbed. And, and the one who was taking care of him was Aisha radiallahu his wife Aisha. And she was the one taking care of him. And one time, she just had a bad headache. So she started saying, oh my head, oh my head. Like, oh, ra'si, uh, ra'si. Like, you know, she had a headache. So the Prophet ﷺ said what? He smiled at her and he said, rather, oh my head. I have a way worse headache than you do. And then to calm her down, he said what? He said, again, knowing that he's about to die. He said, you know what, Aisha? What would you lose if you die right now and I'm the one who takes care of you and takes care of the burial and ghusl and, and washing you and whatever before you, you know, before you get buried? What would you lose? You know, it's going to be a great honor, right? I'm the prophet of Allah. He's, you know, saying that as a joke because he, in his joke, subhanAllah, look at this. He was mentally preparing her to accept his death because at this point, nobody knew who was dying, by the way. They thought he had a fever. He was on, you know, um, he was sick, he had a fever, and he's going to, you know, recover uh, shortly after. Nobody knew who was dying except for him. And then he told Aisha that joke. He's like, you know, if you die, it's not going to be that bad, right? I'm going to take care of you. To which she responds and she smirks and says, oh, yeah, right. I'm sure that you would like that, you know. Uh, you would like for that to happen so you become free. And you could go back to your other wives. So basically, oh, you, you want me to die because you want to be free. Because she was basically the, the leader of the wives. Uh, Aisha was the leader of the wives of the Prophet. So she said, if I'm dying, you're going to have fun with the rest of your wives. That's what you want, right? And it was a joke between the both of them. 
and uh, the Prophet laughed, and that was it, basically. But in his, uh, in his, in his death, in his joking, dwelt the element of truth. He didn't lie. He didn't say you're dying. He said, "What if, you know, would it that be so bad?" But he said the truth because he meant what he meant that he was the one to die. And one last thing we need to know about the Prophet وسلم, it's which is his love for the, for his Muslim nation, for the Ummah, for the Muslims. Our Prophet وسلم, had tremendous love, tremendous love for the Muslims that goes beyond anything. If anything would make you fall in love with this man, it should be this. If it wasn't for his perfect personality. If it wasn't for his perfect character, his honesty, his patience, his perseverance, his modesty. Let's say that you are immune to all of this. You have no emotions towards all of this. This should make you love that man, that blessed man. How he loved us as Muslims. Every prophet, I'm going to give you examples. Every prophet and messenger was given a special dua. Every prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent was given a special dua that no matter how crazy and big the dua is, Allah will fulfill it. Allah will make it happen. One of those dua. So every prophet and every messenger, actually the Prophet tells us they used their dua. They did. On themselves, you know, to do stuff, not selfishly, but things for them. They wanted it. It was a special dua for them. Of these du'as, the du'a of Sulaiman, the du'a of Prophet Solomon, Prophet Sulaiman, when he said what? Rabbi, huh? Hibni mulkun, give me dominion that no one else could have. That was a du'a that's mentioned actually in the Quran. Prophet Sulaiman asked Allah to give him a certain control, a certain dominion that no other human being, prophet or no prophet, would ever have. What did Allah give Prophet Solomon? He gave him control over the jinn, the species of the jinn. You know, he gave him control. He made the wind take him to places. He made the wind transport no horses. You know, no ships, no nothing. It was the wind. When the Prophet Sulaiman wanted to go somewhere, peace be upon him, he would ride the wind. He would ride it on a carpet. He did have a carpet. And by the way, trivia here for you guys. This whole Aladdin story, this whole genie, and this whole genie in a bottle, or genie in the lamp, and this whole like carpet, magic carpet, this, also, this is inspired from the story of Prophet Sulaiman, of Prophet Solomon, peace be upon him. Don't you see the similarities? And this is true. He actually did have the wind. He sat on a carpet and the wind took him. Not the carpet. The carpet was not magical. It was the wind that took him to places. But just to trivia, you know, information for you guys that this was inspired by Prophet Sulaiman Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This whole myth of like, you know, Aladdin story and whatever. The genie in the lamp. And, and because he had control over the jinn as well. Right? He asked them to do, and it was not just three wishes. He would ask them to do whatever he wants, and they would do it. No questions asked. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet says, every single prophet made their dua in this life, and they took it. They got what they wanted. 
except for me. I did not make that dua yet and I will keep that dua until the day of judgment so I can use it to benefit my people. Look at this man. Look at this incredible human being, incredible prophet. The best man ever walked on the face of this earth. He could have had an incredible wish fulfilled by Allah. Yet he said, no, 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 I'm good. I'll save it for the day when the day of judgment comes to make dua for my ummah, my nation, my people, all the Muslims. And that dua is, by the way, we know what the dua is going to be. Oh Allah, make Jannah the final abode for all Muslims. Oh Allah, forgive all Muslims eventually. Now hear me out. I'm sure many of you know that all Muslims eventually, eventually will have to go to Jannah. Even if some of them are bad and horrible and they will have to spend some time in hellfire, they will eventually go to Jannah, right? We know that. We eventually, uh, bad Muslims will enter paradise for, you know, for following the sunnah of the Prophet and worshipping Allah, right? That's not the default, by the way. Here's some news for you guys, my brothers and sisters. That's not the default, Meaning what? We're not supposed to enter Jannah eventually. It's the dua of the Prophet ﷺ that he will make on the Day of Judgment that will make this possible. Wrap your heads around this. If the Prophet ﷺ did not save his dua, some Muslims would have spent eternity in hellfire based on their bad deeds. Again, if it wasn't for the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, some Muslims would have spent eternity in hellfire never to see Jannah, never to see paradise. But because of this dua, any single Muslim who said La ilaha illallah and followed the Prophet ﷺ, meaning believed in the Prophet ﷺ, will enter Jannah eventually even after you know, years in hellfire. It's because of this dua, it's not by default. We're not given that privilege by default. It's all because of the Prophet ﷺ. If that is not a reason for you to love the Prophet ﷺ and respect him, I don't know what is. That man withheld a precious dua for the sake of us, for our sake, for his ummah, us Muslims. He also made dua to Allah to have Muslims to be the two-thirds of paradise. Because we know that the uh, true Christians who died in the time of Jesus and who followed Jesus Christ for being the prophet of Allah, not anything else. We know that the Jews who followed Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, uh, and knowing that Allah is one, those all got to go to Jannah, right? They're all considered uh, Muslims as well, right? But he's talking about his own nations, the Muslim Muslims that came, you know, uh, under the the, the the guidance of the Prophet Sallallahu Will be the two-thirds of Jannah Two-thirds That means one-third left And inshallah there will be plenty Don't worry That's not We're not uh, taking it from other nations Don't worry about that Allah is fair Allah will Everyone who deserves to be in Jannah Will be in Jannah But we will be two-thirds Inshallah by the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu To Allah Two-thirds of the people of paradise the Prophet ﷺ used to stand all night praying, every single night. 
so she would be able to bargain for forgiveness for the Muslims on the day of judgment. Do you understand what he's doing? His love for us made him sacrifice so much for our sake. Like his wife used to report that his feet used to be swollen from standing in prayers every single night for our sake. For our sake. He used to cry for us, my dear brothers and sisters. One time, one night he was crying and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew exactly why he was crying. But to send us and him a message, he sent Jibreel asked to ask him anyway. Why are you crying? To lift his spirits. So Prophet ﷺ told Jibreel, uh, or Gabriel, the, 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 the uh, leader of the angels, he told him, I'm fearing for the fate of my nation, of all the Muslims. I don't know their fate. I don't know if they're going to go astray. I don't know if they're going to go to Jannah. So Gabriel or Jibreel went back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and told him, Prophet uh, is fearing, and, and he basically... Uh, Coded what the Prophet ﷺ said. So Allah sent Jibreel again and tell him what? Do not fear for your nation. I will please you with them by basically forgiving them and you know blessing them and giving them more knowledge. <laughs>